Star Walker Studios presents Game Master's Journey, your multidimensional RPG podcast. Hello, fellow gamer. Welcome to episode 135 of Game Master's Journey, your multidimensional RPG podcast. I'm Lex Starwalker, and on this show, we discuss the craft and the art of game mastering. Not only do I pass along any knowledge I've gained over 25 plus years of running RPGs, I also share wisdom from guest GMs and listener GMs like you. I've got a great show for you today. I'm going to tell you all about Volo's Guide to Monsters. But before I get into that, I have some announcements to get out of the way here at the top of the show. First of all, I want to remind you that Game Master's Journey has a voicemail now. So yet another way you can get a hold of me. And this is a great way if you want to have a question answered on the show or you have a comment I can easily pull audio from the voicemail right into the show. So if you'd like to hear yourself on the show, calling my voicemail is a great way to do so. You can call that number at 951-GMJ-LEX-1. That's 951-GMJ-LEX-1. And uh, in addition to the voicemail, you can also send sound files to GameMastersJourney at gmail.com if you are savvy enough to do that. I also wanted to remind you that I'm going to be doing a whole series of of articles, of episodes in the future on the various roles of the GM. As Game Masters, we wear a lot of hats, both at and away from the table, and I thought it would be enlightening to explore some of the most important roles that we play as Game Masters and kind of tease those apart and look at what's involved in this particular role and how can we excel at it. Uh, The current roles that I'm thinking of for the Game Master right now are a referee, manager, world builder, actor, writer, director, storyteller, improviser, psychologist, and teacher. And if you're curious about what I mean by all those, you can check out episode 134 where I discuss this in a bit more detail, or you can check out the post on the roles of the Game Master in our community. And I have a link to that post in the show notes for episode 135 at starwalkerstudios.com. So I would love to hear from any of you that have any thoughts on this. Uh, you can post a comment in that discussion and either suggest additional roles that I haven't thought of, or also make suggestions of important points you think I should be sure to make for each of those roles. Finally, at the top of the show today, I wanted to discuss a poll that I threw into the community a while ago. And this poll was simply, what's your favorite arcane class to play in 5th edition D&D? And we don't really so much have the arcane versus divine distinction made in 5th edition that we did in previous editions of the game. So just for clarity, I'm talking about the bard, sorcerer, warlock, and wizard classes. So I was really curious among those four classes, what were people's favorites? So here are the results. As of recording this, I have 48 votes in the poll. And of those, our winner for the most popular of the, quote, arcane classes, if if we can even still call them that, is the wizard with 44% of the votes. 
So the wizard was the clear winner here. Our next contender at second place with 23% of the votes is the warlock. And then third place with 21% of the votes is sorcerer. And in fourth place, last place with only 13% of the votes is the bard. So this is interesting. I was not surprised that the wizard was number one. That's what I expected. Uh, Wizard has been one of the most, if not the most powerful classes in the game since the very beginning. And so I'm I'm not surprised that, that Wizard won. I was surprised, though, that the Bard came in last. I really thought the Bard would beat out the Warlock, um, which, you know, I haven't been super impressed with the Warlock personally as, as a GM. I haven't played one as a player, but I've had players play them, and, and I haven't been that impressed with it. But a lot of you are. Warlock got second place, which really surprised me, and Bard got last place, which really surprised me. I wonder, though, how many of the people who didn't vote for the Bard have ever actually played a Bard in 5th edition. And I'll say, if you haven't played a Bard in 5th edition, you should try one out. Um, I know that historically, in D&D, Bards have not been a great class to play, at least not since 1st edition. So maybe that's part of it. You know, people maybe haven't played a Bard in 5th edition and they're thinking of a previous edition. But I think in 5th edition, Bards are pretty awesome. I always like having a bard at the table. They're a great person to have in your group. And in fact, I've often said that in fifth edition, at least, if you're going to have four or five people in your group, more than four people, that fifth person, an ideal choice, assuming you have all your bases covered at that point, would be a bard because bards just make every party better. But anyway, enough about the bard. So again, wizard first place with 44% of the votes, Warlock in second place with 23%, Sorcerer close behind in third place with 21% of the votes, and Bard in final place with 13% of the votes. So I'll probably keep doing these polls uh, in the future. So if you would like to suggest a poll question for a a future episode, shoot me an email, GameMastersJourney at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to do more of these polls in the future. This is Shane from the Total Party Thrill Podcast, and you're listening to Lex Starwalker on Game Master's Journey. I want to give a quick shout out to the patrons of Starwalker Studios. The support of the patrons makes this show possible. If you enjoy Game Master's Journey and you'd like to give a little back, becoming a patron is a great way to do so. Patrons get some cool perks like game material I make for Primordia and access to a special monthly podcast I produce just for the patrons. I'd also like to give a huge shout out and thank you to my tier four patron, Mr. Steve Strickland. Let's hear it for Steve. Yeah. Yes. You the You the man. Thank you so much, Steve, and thank you to all the patrons. You can find out more about becoming a patron by clicking on the Patreon button at the top of the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com. So for our main topic today, I am going to be talking about Volo's Guide to Monsters. This is our newest supplement for 5th edition D&D, and I've had quite a bit of time now to pour over this, and I'm really happy to talk 
about this book today because I really like this book and I'm going to be able to give a fairly glowing review of this book. It's not perfect. There are a few things about it I, I didn't care for. But overall, I, I really enjoyed this book and I think it's a very worthwhile uh, addition to have for the game, especially since we've had so little support for the game other than adventures. We've had you know more adventures than you can shake a stick at for 5th edition, but as far as rules and character options and things like that beyond the three core books, we haven't had a whole lot, um, especially considering... Uh, how many years <laughs> this game has been out now. So um, it's really nice to finally get something like this. And it's really nice that it was as well done as it is. I also feel really good to talk about this book because I feel like a lot of my reviews lately have been less than favorable um, because they've been mostly adventures, which, you know, are, are pretty hit and miss if, if that's even going to be useful to you at all. And then the only other really rules edition that we've had for fifth edition was the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, which I was pretty disappointed with and which I think is really truly only useful to a pretty small percentage of people playing D&D. And I think, unfortunately, just due to the fact that we have so little for fifth edition, that a lot of us ended up getting the Sword Coast Adventures Guide and ended up not being super happy with it. And it ended up using at best maybe half of that book. And you could have just thrown the other half of the book away. So I try not to review things unless I like them at least somewhat. But um, it's really nice to finally have something to talk about that I, that I really liked for 5th edition and to be able to have a nice positive review. So let's start out with just some of the basic stuff about this book. Uh, this is a hardcover book, um, same paper, same binding as the other 5th edition books published by Wizards of the Coast. It's full color, 224 pages. Now, the book's listed price is $49.95. I checked, and right now on Amazon, you can get it for $44.95, so you save 5 bucks. Um, but that price is actually pretty high. Before, it was like $30 on Amazon. So I think that there's probably been a markup for the holiday season. So, you know, if you're wanting to get Volo's Guide and you're not made of money, I would hold off if you can and wait for that price to come down. It should come down back to where it was, which was like $29.97 on Amazon. Um, as soon as the, the craziness of the holiday season is over, you know, I'm sure we'll see it back around $30, which is where it should be. So, you know, you can save 20 bucks uh, buying it on Amazon, which you could turn around with that 20 bucks and, and buy another book maybe. And I will say, you know, despite misgivings I had about this whole thing being supposedly told from Volo and Elminster's point of view, it wasn't nearly as obnoxious as I was afraid it was going to be. For the most part, the, the limit or the extent of things from Volo and Elminster's point of view are in uh, sidebars or box text which is really just adding fluff. And if you find Volo and Elminster as annoying as I do, you can just ignore all that stuff because it's not really adding anything as far as meaning to anything. It's just fluff. So you can ignore it um, for the most part. And so, yeah, not, not nearly as obnoxious as I was afraid it was going to be when I first heard that this book was going to be told from Volo and Elminster's points of view. 
So that's kind of the basics of the book. And now I'll start digging into more detail as to what's actually in it and what I think of it. So we start out with chapter one, which is monster lore. And this chapter is a fairly extensive chapter. And we take a few types of monsters from the game and really get in depth on those monsters. So the first monster that they talk about in this chapter is the Beholder. So this talks about Beholder outlook and psychology. Uh, beholders think very differently from humans. They, they have very alien minds, so it talks some about that. Also talks about how Beholders reproduce, which is something I've never thought or wondered about before, but turns out that the way Beholders reproduce is that when a Beholder dreams of another Beholder, Sometimes this will create a warp in reality and a new beholder just springs into existence right there. And then usually the two beholders fight each other to the death because beholders don't tolerate other beholders very well. Now, you may either think that's really cool or you may think it's really stupid, but regardless, it's creative. There are also tables to generate physical characteristics for a particular beholder, Things like body diameter, skin color, skin texture, eye color, iris shape, eye size, eye stock texture, eye stock shape, mouth shape, size, teeth shape, stuff like that. Kind of a little ridiculous in its granularity, but, you know, if you're using a beholder for like a nemesis for the PCs, you know, this will help you really flesh out, you know, what that beholder looks like. Or on the other hand, if you're using numerous beholders in your campaign, this can help you differentiate between them so that they're all unique instead of just being carbon copies of each other. So that's pretty cool. And these are all tables. So you can either, you know, find the thing that works for you or you could just roll and determine it randomly. We're also giving given role-playing guidelines for beholders and we're given personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws for beholders so that you can make them just like you'd make a player character's personality or a, a more normal NPC's personality. We also are given some beholder names. We have a section on battle tactics of the beholders and this is a really cool section and I really enjoyed this and you can take this and, and a lot of these ideas you can extrapolate to other intelligent flying creatures. You know, these aren't necessarily things that are just something a beholder would do, but are things that any intelligent creature with the ability to fly uh, might use tactically uh, when they're fighting against your PCs. And, you know, a lot of this in, in this chapter of the book is like that. You know, you'll find information that's, that's very specific to that type of monster, but you can also extrapolate some of that to other monsters that have similarities. So, for instance, you know, some of these battle tactics we can apply to other monsters that have flight. It also lists possible variant abilities for the central eye of the beholder and the various eye rays. So you can create a beholder that, that has different things that, it, that its eye rays do, which is really awesome. You know, if you have players that have memorized the monster manual or memorized beholders, then you can still surprise them and they don't know, you know, what's coming. And not only can this help you make variant beholders that are different from what's in the monster manual, but it also, and this is really cool, gives you a look at some abilities or spells that Wizards of the Coast consider roughly equal. 
So, you know, any of these abilities that are being swapped out, you can say, well, these at least, you know, the designers think that these abilities are roughly equal. So not only can I swap out one ability for another with a beholder, but, you know, this also gives you um, some insight for other things that you're homebrewing, whether it's magic items or monsters or whatever, kind of gives you some equivalencies between different spells and abilities, which can be very helpful. We also have a discussion on beholder layers, properties that their layers will often have, tactics that they use in their layers, how they lay out their layers to take advantage of their various abilities and gifts that they have. And you're given a sample layer mapped out for you. Also describes types of treasure you'll find in a beholder layer and how the beholder uses various types of treasure or not. And we're also given charts for beholder minions and pets. So again, I'm just hitting the highlights here, but there's a lot of information in this section on beholders. Next, we have a discussion on giants. Uh, we have discussion of you know the size of giants and how that affects various things their lore and religion, culture, things like that. We're given some example giant words in their language, a chart with things that you might find in a giant's bag, a chart giving lifespans of the different types of giants. And again, we're given traits, ideals, bonds, flaws for giants in general, um, but unfortunately not for the specific types. So I don't know how useful that is. It seems to me that you know, a fire giant would have a very different mental outlook than a stone giant or a hill giant. I think it would have been more useful to have traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws for the different types of giants instead of just giants in general, but it's something to start from. And then we're given some information on each of the major giant types, cloud, fire, frost, hill, stone, and storm. Next, we have a section all about gnolls, and I enjoyed this section. You know, I have to say... I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And this is probably the first time I've ever found Knowles remotely interesting. <laughs> but this made them more interesting. I, I very rarely use Knowles in my games, although I might use them more now. We have a discussion of the insatiable hunger, which underlies much of what Knowles are and how they think and how they operate. We have discussion of Knoll tactics. Uh, Knoll treasure. Again, we have traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws for Knolls. Uh, we have a discussion on Knoll warbands, which is really interesting and talks about different types of Knolls that you'll find within the warband. Also, discussion of other monsters that Knolls will commonly be found allied with and a set of tables for creating a Knoll warband. So really cool stuff. Next section is on goblinoids, and this was one of my favorite parts of, of the book. I'd, I'd say the section on beholders and the section on goblinoids were probably my, my favorite parts of this book. So this section talks about the goblins, first of all, and talks about different castes in goblin society, goblin lairs, talks a bit about bugbears and their mentality, how they approach things, talks about hobgoblins, including their ranks and titles, their feelings on honor and also talks about devastators, which are hobgoblin wizards, pretty cool stuff. And also talks about hobgoblin lairs. Then we have discussion of goblin hosts, which is where all these goblins come together and, and work together. 
and especially talks about how and why they come together and work together as a group. And then finally, we're given a sample goblinoid war camp. Next, we have a section on hags. We have a great discussion here on how hags operate, how they prey on settlements, and also making deals with hags, which is a great way to bring hags into your campaign. Really cool section on making deals with hags. And, you know, definitely if I was going to use one or more hags in a campaign in the future, I would definitely approach it through some kind of deal uh, that the PCs must make with a hag for some reason, as opposed to just throwing at them at them as, as a monster to fight or something. Really cool stuff. Again, we're given personality traits for hags, uh, hag names, discussion of hag magic, discussion of hag covens. Now, one thing that's really cool in here is we're given alternate hag coven spells for covens that have gathered for a specific purpose. So, you know, when hags come together as, as a coven, together as a group, they have access to additional spells that they don't have individually. And this gives you different spells that you could give them instead of what's given in the monster manual. And again, just like with the alternate ray powers, eye ray powers for the beholders, this gives you a glimpse into spells that Wizards of the Coast feel are roughly equivalent to one another that you can use if you're homebrewing, you know, magic items or whatever, you know, you can say, hey, these spells are roughly equivalent in power. So that can be really useful to uh, dungeon masters that are homebrewing stuff. Also, we're given some information to use when making hags legendary creatures. So we're given hag lair actions and regional effects. Really cool stuff. We're also given two new hags, the Anis hag, which is a mountain dwelling hag and the Bahur, how you pronounce that, which is like a cold Arctic kind of hag. We're given tables for hag minions, what kind of minions they might have and hag objects are discussed as well. So the hag section is really cool and gave me a lot of ideas for using hags as kind of a nemesis for the PCs or even kind of an unlikely ally. You know, maybe the PCs need a favor from a hag and you can have a lot of fun with that. Next, we have a section on kobolds. And in here, we've got some kobold names as well as determining their scale color and scale pattern, tactics that the kobolds use, treasures that you might find in their lair, creatures that they'll ally with or keep as minions or pets, and we're given a sample kobold lair. However, for some reason, we don't have any personality traits for kobolds. Next up is the Mind Flayers. We're given a Scion variant for Mind Flayers, uh, which is odd because there's no Psionics in 5th edition, but, but there you go. There it is if you want that. Uh, their history with the Gith is discussed. We are given personality traits for Mind Flayers as well as some names. And an example, Mind Flayer Colony is mapped out for us. Also, oddly, there are some Mind Flayer magic items that are presented here. Uh, but before you get too excited, they're not as cool as you might think because they're only able to be used by Mind Flayers or their minions. So these really are kind of useless. I would have rather seen these as optional abilities that a Mind Flayer could have. 
Um, it seems pointless to stat them out as magic items when player characters will never be able to use them. So yeah, I'm not sure what Wizards was thinking there. Kind of odd. Next up, we have a section on orcs. We have lots of discussion on the orc gods, orc culture. We are given personality traits for the orcs. Discussion on half orcs and orogs and tanneruks, which are back and statted out in the bestiary section of the book. And for those of you that, that don't know, tanneruks were around in previous versions of the game, um, especially, for instance, I know they were around in second edition, and they're basically kind of demonic orcs, basically. We then have an orc stronghold mapped out for us and discussions on orc treasure. Our next section is on the Wanti. I honestly pretty much skipped this section. I could care less about the Wanti. I think they're kind of dumb. But hey, if you're into like snake people, there you go. Uh, this has a physical variations tables for determining body type, scale color, skin color, scale pattern, tongue color, eye color, snake head shape, etc. Way more than you'd ever want to know about one of these guys, I'm sure. Um, optional traits and action options, personality traits, and a Yuan Ti temple is given. So if you're in this snake people, have fun with that. My favorite part of the show is when I hear from listener GMs like you. If you have feedback for the show, whether it's a comment on today's topic or an idea for a future topic, I'd love to hear from you. There are a lot of great ways to get a hold of me. You can email me at gamemastersjourney at gmail.com, follow me on Twitter at Lex Starwalker, Google Plus plus Lex Starwalker, and finally, you can visit the website starwalkerstudios.com to get links to my Patreon page, YouTube channel, and more. All right, so chapter two of the book is character races. Also, in addition to full-on new PC races, we have uh, information given on playing some of the monsters as player characters. PC races that are added that, that get a full write-up in this are the Asimar. Now, Asimar are presented in the DMG already, but this is a full write-up of the Asimar, and they have three sub-races the Protector, Scourge, and Fallen Asmar. Um, this is probably about the only thing in this section that I would use. I like Asimar. I have them in my homebrew world of Primordia, and this details them better than what we get in the DMG, so I'm, I'm definitely using this in my game. Next, we have the Furbolg. This race really overlaps with Elves a lot. Um, so I'm not really sure what this adds to your game unless you're using a world where there's no elves. I don't think any of the published campaign settings for D&D lack elves. I think elves exist in all of them. But maybe your, your homebrew world doesn't have elves, but you want to have some kind of nature-loving race there instead of the elves. So if that's your situation, maybe you could use the Furbolg, I guess, maybe. Um, they kind of remind me of the Ogre from uh, Wheel of Time a bit. We have the Goliath. We have the Kenku. We have the Lizard Folk, which is maybe one of the more use usable and interesting uh, options given to us in this chapter. Uh, we have the Tabaxi, which are cat people. Uh, Triton, which are, you know, aquatic people. I guess if you're doing an underwater campaign or adventure, this might be useful to you. 
And then we have the monster races. Now, these aren't given a full PC race write-up like the previous races are, unfortunately. I would have rather seen these written up than learn about Tritons and Tabaxi and Kenku, but that's just me. But we're given the game statistics for, you know, if you wanted to make a player character who is a bugbear, goblin, hobgoblin, kobold, orc, or yuan Also, we're given height and weight tables for all these guys, plus the PC, the new PC races that are given in this chapter. And there you go. Now, uh, the book does point out that the monster races are not balanced with the PC races. They may be either more or less powerful than regular PC races, but that's okay. Chapter three now is our bestiary, and there are a lot of new monsters in here. So, so let's uh, tell you some of what's in here. Now, there are far too many for me to list out. It would get very boring to listen to, but here are, are some of the things we can find in this book statted out for us. The Alhoon, the Babao demon, if that's how you say that. The Bargist, the Bodak, Boggle, Cave Fisher, Death Kiss, which is a beholderling thing. <laughs> a few new types of uh, dinosaur, the Dreogloth, the Elder Brain, Gazer, which is another little beholder creature. A few new types of Knoll, a couple new types of Hobgoblin, a few new types of Kobold. The Lucrata, Maw Demon, Mind Flayer Lich, Neoji, a few new types of Orc. Finally, we have an Ox or Cow in the game, if, for those of you that needed that. The Quickling, Red Cap, Rothe, Shadow Mastiff, Spawn of Kyus, Tanaruk, and the Yeth Hound. So again, that's just some of the monsters that are in here. There, there are a lot more in here. So, you know, if you're considering getting this book and and if a big part of your decision is which monsters are included in this then i would recommend uh heading over to a bookstore or somewhere where you can flip through it and seeing what's all in there so that's chapter three of the book appendix a is some some more beasts uh, I, I mentioned they added a cow and a roast to the game appendix b is more npcs and these are really helpful we have uh, a lot more NPCs that you can use, which is super useful. And, you know, we have things like the Arch Druid, the Archer, a Bard, a Blackguard. Um, we also have specialist wizards like a Conjurer or an Evoker or an Abjurer, Martial Arts Adept, Master Thief, Swashbuckler, War Priest, uh, three different types of Warlock, whether it's Archfey, Fiend, or Great Old One, and the Warlord. So I find these NPCs really helpful and the more the merrier. And I, I really love that they went into some of the class specializations here, you know, so we don't just have the mage NPC anymore. We can now have an evoker or a transmuter. And those wizards are also higher level, which is helpful too. And then in Appendix C, we have various monster lists. So we've got stat blocks by creature type, stat blocks by challenge rating, and creatures by environment. Now, unfortunately, these lists don't include the monsters from the monster manual. So you're going to have to combine them yourself. If you want a true list of, you know, all the creatures in an aquatic environment, you're going to have to look at the list in this book 
and the list in the monster manual. Would have been nice if they put them together for you, but they didn't. Have you checked out the Game Master's Journey community on Google Plus yet? The Game Master's Journey community is a great place to bounce ideas back and forth with other listener GMs. You can comment on the show episodes, share your own homebrew world, and ask questions of the many experienced GMs that are a part of our community. So I hope you'll check out our community and I hope you'll join us there. You can find a link to the Game Master's Journey community in the show notes for this episode over at starwalkerstudios.com slash Game Master's Journey. All right, so I've basically told you the, the, the highlights of what's in this book, what you can find in this book. So now we get to the bottom line. You know, what do I think of this book? Do I think uh, you're going to enjoy it? Things like that. So I think that this book is a great resource for all DMs of 5e Dungeons and Dragons. The discussion of tactics and culture and things like that of the various monsters in chapter one is super useful. And again, not only are these discussions useful for using those specific monsters and kind of bringing them to life more, but also you can extrapolate a lot of this stuff to other similar monsters, which makes it even more useful. Now, chapter two, which is the section with new PC races and some of the monster uh, races is player characters is much less of a home run in my mind. And in fact, I think this is the weak part of the book. I think the book would have been better off without it, to be honest. And instead, uh, I would have rather seen more monsters in the bestiary section and or one or two other monster types given an in-depth discussion. Now, one thing that I did enjoy was the little section at the end of the chapter about um, the monster races where it gives you you know, here's how you would make a PC that's a goblin or a hobgoblin or a bugbear. But again, you know, these aren't balanced with the regular PC races. So I think these are going to work best for you as a DM. If you want to run an adventure or a campaign where all the PCs are monsters, you know, in which case you don't really have to worry that, you know, the bugbear isn't balanced with the human or whatever. If all the PCs are playing monsters, who cares? But because these aren't balanced with the other PC races, they could be problematic or at least present a challenge to you as a DM if you're going to have them mixed in with regular PC races. So, you know, if you've got players playing elves and dwarves and humans and then you got a player playing a hobgoblin, may work out fine, may not. Who knows? Playtesting is needed. <laughs> so, so definitely, you know, use those with, with caution but, um, you know, I really, I really enjoyed having these and it at least gives you some place to start from, you know, for instance, in, in my world of primordia, I've seriously considered making hobgoblins a race available for player characters. And at least now, if I decide I want to do that, I have somewhere to start from. And, you know, I'd have to decide, do I think hobgoblins are balanced with the other race options? And if not, you know, if I'm going to have that as a, just a, an option every player has in, in the world, then I'd want to try to make them more balanced in some way. But yeah, it is cool to have. And, and I think would be fun to play with in like a short adventure where the player characters are monsters. I, I think you could have some fun with that. So that was pretty cool. The bestiary part of the book has quite a few 
useful new monsters, a lot of old favorites from previous editions of the game, like the Tanneruk and the Bargast have come back, which is really nice. And also what's really nice is very few of these really have specific origins to the Forgotten Realms, you know, and this is something that I was concerned about with this book before I got it was that it was Forgotten Realms specific and how useful is this going to be to DMs who aren't running in the realms? You know, the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, you know, like half of that book was realm specific and was for the most part useless to a DM not running in the realms. So I was very pleased to see that, you know, I, I didn't really see anything leaping out at me as this will only work in the realms. You know, even the monsters that are from the realms originally, you can easily, you know, transplant to your world of choice and it'll work fine. Also, I found all the additional NPCs like the specialist wizards and the different types of warlocks and rogue and things like that. I think those will be very useful to us running our games. So this is definitely a book for DMs. This isn't a book for players. I think a player buying this book for player options is not going to be very happy. And if you're only a player and you don't run the book, I would not recommend you buy this book. If you want to buy the book, buy it for your dungeon master (laughs) because your dungeon master will get a lot of use out of it. You not so much. So I think for dungeon masters, this is a great book. Again, it'd be a lot better if chapter two would have been replaced with more useful things like more monsters or detail a, a couple other types of monsters, like maybe dragons or fiends or something like that. But still, overall, this this is a book for Dungeon Masters. If you're a Dungeon Master, I think you'll be pretty happy with it, even though uh, Chapter 2 might be useless to you. I think you'll be happy with it because it's quite a few new monsters to add to the game. And the monsters that are discussed in detail in Chapter 1, there's a lot, a lot that you can get from that. Not just for those monsters, but for other similar monsters as well. And also might kind of spur ideas of your own in similar veins as you see what the folks of Wizards have done here. So this is really only our second (laughs) rules addition to the game uh, since the core three books. And unlike the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, which was ultimately a disappointment, at least to me, and of limited use to those running outside of the realms, I think this book will be very useful to all DMs, no matter what campaign setting you're using. Even if you're using homebrew, I think this will be useful to you. More monsters are always good to have. And again, the discussions on the monster cultures and tactics, I think will be very useful, especially the newer GMs to get your head around that kind of stuff. But even I think more experienced GMs will learn from that. I know I learned quite a bit and got a lot of great ideas from the discussions on the various monsters in chapter one. So yeah, bottom line, again, like all my reviews, it really depends who you are, what you want from this. If you are a dungeon master and you're looking for new monsters, I think you'll be very happy with this book. If you're a dungeon master and you're looking for more advanced tactics and more detail on certain monsters, you know, culture and how they think and how their societies work. And if you're lucky and and the monsters you want to know about is one of the ones they talk about in this book, I think you'll be very happy with the book. And if you want both those things, if you want more in-depth knowledge on things like giants and goblinoids and you want new monsters, then you're going to be super happy with this book. If you only play the game and you don't run the game, you're not a dungeon master, 
I don't think this book is for you, despite chapter two. I don't think this book is for you. The only thing that's really going to be useful to you is chapter two, and that's only if your DM allows any of those as PC options, which most likely your DM won't allow them, or at the very least isn't going to allow all of them. So I think this would be pretty much wasted money for you as a player, and I'd recommend instead buying the book and giving it to your Dungeon Master as a gift because your Dungeon Master is going to get a lot of use out of it. And if your Dungeon Master decides to allow some of those PC race options, then I'm sure your Dungeon Master can share that information with you, which is just going to be a few pages out of the whole book. And also, I would say this book is not particular to the Forgotten Realms, despite the way it's marketed. I saw very little in here that was specific to the realms. In fact, I don't think I really saw anything that was super specific to the realms as far as the monsters that that were supplied. They're all things that you could use in other uh, settings. So that's awesome and a bit of a relief um, for, for those like me who don't run in the realms, which is probably a lot of us, I, I would think. So, you know, if you're running in, in another published setting or you're running in your own setting, you're still going to find this, this book super useful. And I highly recommend it if you're a dungeon master. Well, that is going to wrap it up for episode 135. Thanks for tuning in today. If you've gotten Volo's Guide to Monsters, I'd love to hear what you think about it. You could email me at gamemastersjourney at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Or you could comment on this episode over at the Game Master's Journey community on Google+. And uh, maybe we can have a, a community discussion about this book, what people like, what people didn't like. Me, overall, I'm a fan of it. I'm glad I got it. I'm definitely going to use it. There were some less than ideal things about it. I, I, you know, I really wish Wizards would get away from this trying to sucker everybody into buying the book and instead make books that are for GMs and make books that are player for players so that we can be, you know, 100% happy and, and using <laughs> the thing that we buy. But uh, they didn't ask me my opinion. So, you know, what are you going to do? Um, but I, I think this is is a good book and a huge improvement over the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. And, uh, you know, if you've got the DMG and the Monster Manual and the Player's Handbook and you're wanting to get another supplement for D&D, this is the one I would get. So I hope that you have a chance to play your favorite RPG this week. I'll be back soon with another episode of Game Master's Journey. Until then, game on. This has been a Starwalker Studios production, your source for quality gaming and hobby podcasts. This episode's music, courtesy of Cloudwalker, Transboy, Renfield, Stanko, and Ish. See the show notes for more details at starwalkerstudios.com slash Game Master's Journey.